Welcome to the Cancel This Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Sattel. This is a podcast that explores current events, eternal truths, and transformational lessons alongside some truly captivating guests. In the age of rabid cancel culture, Cancel This isn't afraid to ask and answer the tough questions. Today's guest is Tim Ferrara. Tim is the executive pastor at LifePoint Church in Arizona. He also has a ministry called Discerning Dad, where he encourages dads and all Christians to fulfill their calling, growing in relationship with Jesus, and be the discerning leader of their home. He also has a podcast called Everyday Discernment, which is just taking off big time. So definitely go over there and listen to that podcast, my friends. And in between his being a dad, a pastor, a podcaster, he is also an author. Tim, welcome to the show. Jason, it is so cool to be here. I've loved connecting with you over the past year or so, and yeah. I am just privileged to be here. I've listened to every episode before, doing some awesome things with this podcast. So thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, man, thanks to you. And, you know, I always do everything transparently and sometimes ramble a little too much, as people know. But the way that we got connected is when my book came out, I came onto your podcast yeah. and it was just such a cool discussion that I'm not just bringing you back because obviously you have a book out and your podcast. I just love your views on life, man. And I just wanted to kind of talk about some things that are going on and, you know, get your, your viewpoint on some of the cancel culture stuff that's happening. Yeah. And with that being said, um, I don't watch a whole lot of news. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. And the reason I don't is because when I turn it on, Man, it just drives me nuts because I see sides versus sides. I, I, I see conservatives canceling out, non-conservatives, non-conservatives canceling out, conservatives, Christian. It just goes kind of crazy, man. What are your thoughts on the crazy, we're just going to cancel people out culture that's going on out there? Well, it, it is crazy. I don't think we've seen something like this in my lifetime uh, to this level. And uh, I'll take you back to 2018 when I started my ministry of discerning dad. I wanted to quit social media completely, like literally cancel the apps, take it off my phone, find something else to spend my time with. And I felt God was calling me back to social media to start blogging, start this online ministry to help people grow in discernment and make better decisions that lead them down a path of blessing in their life instead of a place where they have to face consequences they don't intend. And so God is calling back to something that I really didn't want to be a part of. And so now I'm a part of this social media cycle, putting things out there, but also it can get very draining. Like there's some news art news sites on Facebook mm -hmm. that I had to just snooze for 30 days and end up just dropping completely because it's nonstop in your face. What's going on in the world, the negativity, right. there's no Christ in it. There's no hope. There's just downplayed, uh, you know, downtrodden people that are uh, casting their own vision for what they want the world to be. And I think as Christians, we have to rise above that. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that's why that's a big part of my focus right now is keeping our eyes on Jesus every day. Because if we focus on what is happening in the world, if we focus on political parties, if we focus on social media, then our eyes will get fixed on those. And that will lead us down a place of depression and it'll lead us down a place of comparison, compromising, mm -hmm. and you name it. And then it's just, we start sliding downhill and we, we wonder how we get to the bottom of this hill, not realizing it's one small step at a time. And so we have to be 
cautious as Christians. We have to be careful, but we also have to be bold. I think there's mm -hmm. a level of boldness that we need to have in this day and age where there is no there is no shortage of boldness from people mm -hmm. pushing their agendas. And so as Christians, we can't just be like, okay, I'll love you. I'll do what we need to do. We right. need to lead with love. But we also need to speak the truth. We need both. Right. And, and that's, you know, what I, I love about what you're doing is, you know, the discernment, it seems like you really place a lot of time in in your life in discerning what's going on, how you see it, and then how you're going to react to it, you know, and I agree with that, that we have to react boldly. And, you know, everyone loves to throw out there, I'm going to unapologetically preach the gospel. And I'm like, well, I'd hope you would, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I get where it's coming from. I know the verses that, to back it up. But what I also feel sometimes, though, is we go out there and all of a sudden we unapologetically preach at the pulpit or at church or in your small groups or in your groups of Christians and stuff. Not a problem. But then when all of a sudden confronted with the world, we get scared and we start becoming apologizing to everyone. I'm like, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry that I feel this way. And and I hear where you're coming from. That is we need to boldly step forward and say, no, I'm not going to apologize for what God wants for me, nor am I going to apologize for what God wants for you. But I'm also going to bring it in a loving way, because let's be honest, man, there's a lot of churches, pastors, Christians, um, Christian influencers out there, and they don't come at you in a very nice way either, you know, and, and you've ran yeah. into those too. So what are your feelings on how we should approach the world when we're coming at it in an unapologetic way, but also bring in the love of Christ? What's a great way to do that? Well, I think the, the best way to start is to focus on your sphere of influence. Where is your circle located? Where are you in your community, in your relationships, in your family, in your church? And focus on the people that actually care what you have to say. <laughs> because if you make a random comment on someone's social media page, they don't know you. They right. don't care what you have to yeah. say. It just sounds combative. And right. so the people that actually you have investment in, that you have a seat at their table of their lives, those are the people you need to be loving and, and helping along the path. If you see them going down a path where it's going to lead to something uh, horrible in their life, then you can start to correct them. You can start mm -hmm. to lovingly say, hey, I've been there. You know, this is my story. This is what God has done in my life. Let me share that with you. Let me take you out to coffee. And I think as Christians, we we want to be these keyboard warriors and these Facebook right. prophets. And we want to tell everyone what what is really happening. And we want to just call everybody out. And we end up trying to cancel people ourselves as Christians. You know, we right. want to cancel people in their sin without loving them and showing them the truth. And not only the truth, but why. Why is that important to them? Think about sin, for example. If someone's living a lifestyle of sin and doesn't have a relationship with God, if I tell them they're living in sin, what does that actually mean? Right. First of all, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in sin. Their worldview is completely around mm -hmm. a lifestyle of pleasure and me first. You mm -hmm. know, so when I when I start speaking things to them and they don't understand a foundation. We have to go back to the worldview. Why do we believe what we believe? And it starts in Genesis 1. And that's where we have to lay out the foundation. This is what God intended for genders, for marriage. For, right. This is how sin came into the world. This is why mm -hmm. we have pain and suffering. I can't tell you how many people online just, you know, are, are so turned off to the idea of God because of mm -hmm. disease and sickness right. and the pain that they experience in this life. And it's like, I have an explanation for that. God will mm -hmm. change everything and make, right. make it where there is no 
more crying, no more disease, no more pain and suffering. We have that hope. And for people that don't have that hope, it's hard for them to sometimes jump to that because they just see that the, the, the pain and the circumstance are in and not the future that we have as Christians. No, I love that view. You know, what's so cool is I once heard an amazing sermon and some people would say, well, this, it, it, you're kind of being a little heretical here. And it's like, no, I'm not because I'm not giving you the whole sermon. But what I loved about it was he was explaining the gospel to believers in a way they could bring it to non-believers. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, all right, God had plan A over here, right? He, the garden, everything was there. But yeah. what did man do? Man messed it all up. And God said, okay, now we're going with plan B over here now, you know, (laughs) but the beauty of it, he says in the end through our faith in Christ Jesus and the entire gospel message, he's going to bring us back to plan A, you know, and and it was just a simplistic way. And obviously, you know, you and I could sit there and just go so much deeper and, and really break it down. But I loved how he brought it because so many people that don't spend as much time in their Bible as maybe they should, and they just kind of hang out at church on Sundays. He was basically prompting them to go out there and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to their neighbors. But what I also loved about it was he said, before you knock on their door and just start preaching to them, maybe invite them over for lunch, dinner, coffee, get to know them, you know. Um, send your kids over to pull some weeds in their yard, things like that. You know, some of that old school stuff of getting to know your neighbors as opposed to being encapsulated in these houses and these neighborhoods and not getting to know everyone, you know? So where I wanted to question you, the question I had for you, what do you feel regular folks, just people who sit there in the pews staring at you when you're given the Sunday message, (laughs) what can they do in a practical way that isn't hard to go out there and show Jesus's love to their neighbors. Yeah, I love the quote from John Maxwell, and it's a leadership quote, but it applies to Christians too, is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's the thing is that you don't come at them with this seminary degree level of eschatology, theology, doctrine. You come at them with love. You come at them with a testimony of what God's done in your life. And I think we sometimes downplay our testimonies, but your testimony is powerful. You don't have to know theological level stuff to just have your testimony. And, you know, Revelation even says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the testimony and they love not their lives unto death. And so even if, you know, and sometimes this happens to me too, you know, I grew up in the church. I don't have the testimony of, you know, being down, you know, in drugs and then God pulled me out of it, you know, but there's still a level of faithfulness that God has had in my life. And my life's not been perfect. I have not been sinless. But at the same time, what I have is is showing people what God has done in my life and how that's led to a blessing. And that's my testimony. And your testimony is not a one-time thing of when you came to Christ in salvation, your testimony is a continual, Right. Reminder, reminder of God's faithfulness in your life. What has God done for you yesterday, last week, last month? That is a testimony that we need to keep sharing with people because that is what comes out of our mouth. That is a, a something real that people are looking for. And people are looking for for something real out there. There's so much, so many people searching for what is real, what is truth, what is, you know, how do we make sense of this crazy world? Mm -hmm. And they're going to do it based on the love and the testimony of our mouth. And I would encourage people that are sitting in church, not knowing where to start. Where is God calling you to be passionate? Where, what are you passionate for? Maybe that's where God is calling you to start something, to do something, to serve somebody. So many people come to the pastor and say, Hey, I think we should start this. And most pastors will say, okay, go ahead, start it. 
it, you know, because it's not about the pastor or leadership in church to do things like we are the body of Christ. If you call Christ your savior, you are equipped and you are uh, empowered to go and do what God puts on your heart. And it may be something as simple as serving coffee at at your church to welcoming people in the door, but start Mm. small and don't um, don't reject it because it might seem small. Everyone wants a platform nowadays and teenagers right. can have it on TikTok with millions of followers for doing very little. And so right. it, it's such a different culture where in the past you would have to, to, to reach millions of people, you'd have to sell out stadiums. And, mm-hmm. and, and so we, we, we lose sight of the fact that if I'm just discipling one, two, five, ten people, Jesus had 12 disciples. So don't neglect the fact that if you're going out to coffee with one or two people and pouring into their life, uh, that is a true sign of going and making disciples, which is really the calling on our lives. I talked to uh, Robbie Gallaty, and he Mm -hmm. has a book um, uh, on disciple making. uh, And he he has a great analogy with this is that the true sign that you've made a disciple is when that person goes and makes a disciple. And it's not just, you know, saying a Bible verse here and there, meeting them once a month. It's actually... It's, it's when they actually go and do the thing that you're doing. And right. then that's when it starts to spread like wildfire and people start to see that testimony and not just, you know, a Sunday service with a, a call to the altar. Yeah. See, I, lo- I love that perspective because, you know, one of the things I do, and you know my story and a lot of the listeners do too, was I walked in the dark for 28 years. And, you know, being a fireman and God let me experience the things I experienced, they, they seem drastic. And so people will come to me and they'll say, Jason, I don't have a testimony as good as yours. And I'm like, what? Hold on. <laughs> okay. What, like what you mentioned there, yeah. are you talking about the testimony of the day that you finally said, all right, I'm all in, you know, Jesus Christ, my Lord and savior. And that what led up to that, how he called you and how God drew you to his son. Or are you talking about the testimony of after becoming a Christian and, and growing further in Christ and, and the, it, the light clicks on with them. So not too long ago, I had a young man and I said, well, tell me your story. And he goes, well, it's boring. I said, mm-hmm. what's boring? He's all, well, I grew up in the church. Like, dude, there is nothing boring about that. The way I see it, man, I think you could touch countless peoples by truly going through your struggles of faith by growing up in a house full of faith. Because I grew up in a faithless house and you can use that. And people are going to go, oh, yeah. So like kind of excite people and ignite them again to tell their testimonies. That's something that I love to do. And and I appreciate your uh, feedback into that and how they should go out there and do it. So. Something that I wanted to bring up is your new book. And the reason I wanted to talk about your book is because it's obviously going to point in the direction of what we're talking about. It's called Eyes on Jesus, a 90-day discernment devotional. Bro, I was blessed to be able to read through this ahead of time. So I'm going to be let people know that there. And I'm telling you, man, what I love about this book is it doesn't just give you a little bit something to ponder on, which is very good, then just go read your Bible. I love how you get the reader focused on Jesus and you want them to stay focused on Jesus while going throughout their daily life. Why did you write this? What was your heart behind writing this devotional? Yeah, it really came from a point of my first book being Everyday Discernment, helping people make decisions and realizing that the decisions we make are really dependent upon what we're focused on. And Mm -hmm. so if our eyes are on our problems or our sickness or our job or things that are not Jesus, we're going to make decisions that are focused on those things. And so really it comes down to focusing, as Hebrew 12.2 says, 
focusing on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, you know, is the, the, where we keep, you know, that North star, that, that focal point. And on the front of my book too, is a lighthouse, because I really wanted it to be, you know, that is, if you're in the storms of life, if you're in the waves, you know, focus on the lighthouse that, that's going to keep you focused on where you need to go. And so that was really the heart of it. And it started small. It started as a 14 day uh, devotional that I wrote uh, and put mm-hmm. on the version app, which people can find for free if you just want to get a sample of it. Mm-hmm. And then I just, God just kept giving me revelation from examples in my life that I've never thought about in years. Um, um, just practical things. And I really took it slow. You know, I didn't just say, okay, I'm going to write this in 30 days or, or however long, but I really just, you know, woke up in the morning and said, God, what do you have to show me today? And wrote, I never wrote more than one day at a time, mm-hmm. you know, in the devotional, because I really wanted to be fresh revelation from God, what he was telling me. Right. And some days I wouldn't write at all. And I just was waiting on the Lord. And so I really didn't have an agenda. Just God kept revealing things to me that I think will be helpful as people go through and really practically analyze their life. You know, what are you actually focused on? And there's a, there's a spot for reflection in there that people can write. Uh, there's always a Bible verse at the beginning. Um, and so, and also you, you, uh, you left a recommendation for me, which is in the book. And so I really appreciate that. Um, and so there is just, I think, um, I love devotionals, first of all, you know, I, I just finished one and working on another one. And so I think it's a great addition to your quiet time. It doesn't replace the Bible, but it's something mm-hmm. in addition to reading the Bible that can really help you stay grounded um, over a 90 day span of keeping your eyes on Jesus. Right. And that that's what I love about it too, because when I was reading through it, obviously, you know, I'll be honestly, I, I didn't spend one day at a time because I really wanted to see what it was all about. Yeah. And, stuff. and so now I'm going back through it one day at a time. And what I dig about a devotional, like you mentioned, it never overtakes, you know, God's infallible word, you know, no matter what I write, what I do, however I talk, I'm like, when we open up our Bibles, we're truly opening up the word of God, where it's like, we're staring into his face, because he's talking to us through that yeah. word there, you know, but there are certain days like today, I, I hopped on Facebook for a couple minutes, people think, wow, you're like a Facebook guru. And I'm like, honestly, I'm kind of one way when it comes to Facebook because I put stuff out there because I cannot stand all the stuff that comes back. I really can't. It's so discouraging, but that's one of the reasons why I try to pour light into it, you know, through family, through faith, through all the different things there and try to be funny and give people a little laugh. But today I turned it on and I guess there was a big court case going on in, in Wisconsin and I'm not an idiot. I don't have my head in the sand where I'm ignoring stuff, but honestly, and I, I, being an Oakland fireman for so many years, when people say, oh, did you hear about the people shot in Wisconsin? My heart, mind always goes back to, well, yeah, last night, a couple of people were shot in Oakland, mm. but that's not making national news. Yeah. And then maybe out here where I live near Sacramento, something bad happened. And, and what about those people? But it's so amazing how our eyes are drawn to this big court case. Then within just two minutes, I saw brothers in Christ posting stuff that almost made me sick to my stomach. Mm. I get, I totally get, you know, being constitutional and wanting a constitutional country. Totally get that. But then I go, you guys we're grounded in Christ here. And it's almost like we're gloating over something. Mm. So where I was going to go with that is it made me want to open up my Bible, get into a devotional and turn it away. So when people are having times like that, where this world's just drawn the nonsense out of them and they're getting angry, how can your devotional help them just on a daily basis kind of get away from all that? Yeah, no, that's a great question because there, 
it's really about the the amount of effort you put into it, right? I mean, you can read any book, you can read, even read the Bible, just casually not get anything out of it because you're not intentionally thinking about what you're reading, going back through it again. You know, if you just have an agenda to read five chapters a day in the Bible, for example, well, what if God wants you to stop on chapter one and read it over and over again and actually reveal something to you in that chapter? And I've fallen into this too, where you just read something and you don't even realize what you read because your mind was on what you need to do for the rest of the day. And the same thing goes in worship. You know, you're worshiping, you're saying the songs, you're singing the words, and then your mind somewhere else. So we have to be intentional about our time with God because it is precious. It is something that is should be setting us up for the rest of our day, and it should not be neglected. We don't just go to God when things are going bad, or we don't just pray when we need something. We are in a relationship with God. He is our Heavenly Father. He is someone that wants to hear from us, but He also wants to reveal things to us. He wants us to pray His will so that we can not just want our will to happen, but actually His will. And this, you know, I had this revelation, which is nothing shocking, but it's like when we're praying to God, we feel like we're saying something new to God. We're, we're giving him new information. Like, you know, when we, when we say something to God, it's like, I just have to get with God. So he knows that this is going on instead of realizing God knows everything. He already knows how that's right. going to turn out. So prayer is actually an, uh, more, should be more listening than it is actually praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and Jesus modeled it perfectly when the disciples asked, teach us to pray, you know, is, is praying for his will, praying for his kingdom to add, to ask for things, but also to, 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 um, and Jesus got a way to pray, you know, and he led by example when that came to, you know, in front of his disciples. And so right. I think prayer is so important to, you know, not just go through our laundry list and, and treat God like a cosmic vending machine, but also to go before him, you know, to, and just be quiet. I mean, that's the hardest thing for me, honestly, between you mm-hmm. and me, <laughs> right. that's the hardest thing for oh, me yeah. to do is to be quiet. Like I can pray and I can talk and I can ask for things and I can worship. But when it actually is silence, that's mm-hmm. when I have the hardest time because I feel like I need to fill the silence with something. And God's really working on my life too to just just be. Mm-hmm. Just be and just listen and see what God wants to tell you in that moment. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe it's 30 minutes. Maybe it's just praying in a prayer language. But whatever that is, you know, there, there's this uh, idea of just doing in the society where we have technology, which is supposed to make our lives easier and supposed to give us more time. And yet, isn't it funny? We feel like we have less time than ever, you right. know, it, it, back, back when things were slower, we didn't have internet, we didn't have all these things, which wasn't that long ago. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not aging myself that much to right. say that right. social media is a newer concept. And so are mm-hmm. our smartphones, but now that we have them, they're a portal to so much, so mm-hmm. much good and mostly bad, if you think about it. And so that portal, and someone used this term, Term recently on a podcast, the phone is a portal. You know, it, 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 that's basically what it is. Wherever you want to go, whatever you want to see, whatever you want to do, it's a portal to all kinds of stuff. And we really have to, to, I think, have discernment in how we use our time, not only with God, but with technology, because technology, for as much time as it, quote, saves us, it can also lead us down a path of uh, sin. It can lead us down a path of those feelings we were talking about by being on social media. Mm-hmm. You know, it can lead us down a path where we're just wasting time. I mean, I talk about discernment with our time in my first book. You know, just spending two hours on Netflix is is fine, and I've done it. Mm-hmm. But then we complain that we don't have time to read the Bible. We're lying right. to ourselves right. when we don't prioritize the things that we say are important to us. No, that's so good. And what I've learned about social media, and again, I'm on board with you too, because I was in the fire department when computers were just starting to come into the firehouse, not like in the seventies, don't get me wrong, but like yeah. we found uses for them more, which as opposed to just typing a report, but doing other things. And so I see now how it's exploded and taken off. 
But even above that, how then the processes within the computers, if you will, meaning social medias have then exploded tenfolds, you know, and I look at social media and everything there is as proof of how we don't have eyes on Jesus and how quickly we're drawn over here. And then we stay there and then how we let it just change the way we feel, you know, and, and, and yeah. people could call me a liar and say, well, that doesn't happen. Well, if you really think about it, turn on CNN, Fox, NPR, or anything whatsoever, and watch your mind and your thoughts are going to be drawn there. Your irritability is going to go up. You're just going to be inundated with first off, not news. You're just going to be in, you know, jammed full of just people's commentary. Yeah. Just their straight up commentary of wanting you to know what they think and trying to rile a response out of you, you know? So, so that's why it's so important as you were saying to have that quiet time with God. And one of the things I've found is as I think, as I first became a Christian, I'll be honest with you. I didn't have the awe factor as much as I did. And don't get wrong. I was a Christian. I was growing in Christ. Yeah. But the day that prayer for me just became so rich was when I was like, wow, God, Genesis one. I mean, the the God of the big bang theory, you know, even though I don't believe in that, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but I mean, how he just started it, let there be light. Then my awe factor and my wah factor went up for him which then just showed his ultimate perfection and how much he loved me and what he wants for me. And my prayer time started changing from asking to thanking Mm. and just sitting in his greatness, if you will, you know, and and then asking as opposed for things, how how do you want me to use these things? I already have things you've given them here. Now, how do you, you know, more like a stewardship thing. How can I steward, how can I steward my time? How can I steward, you know, my family properly? How can I steward your word better? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and, and it became asking him for me to start how I can do things more to honor him. Do you find through your time? And like I said, you know, I, whether you've been a Christian for two seconds or 50 years, you know, I'm not the salvation police on who's saved, who's not saved. But have yeah. you found in your growth that you just become more in awe with God and what he's done? Yeah, it's interesting you say that because a few months ago, our pastor at church was uh, challenging everybody on that very thing is, is when you go to prayer, spend 30 minutes of just being thankful before God. Right. And it sounds very uh, simple, but I trying to do it. It's like my first default is to just ask for things, to just mm-hmm. speak my mind and then leave but to actually pray in a thankful state has been really awesome. And I would encourage everyone listening to try that. Try just going before God and just thanking him, not thanking him. So then you can get to the things you need to ask him for. Just thanking him, just thanking him because he already knows what you need. The hairs on your head are numbered. And so, you know, he says, don't even worry about the flowers of the field. They, you know, what they're going to wear. And so um, I think it's really important when we just go before God and thank him. You know, even if you're concerned about something, let's say it's a health issue, say, thank you, God, for going ahead of me in the surgery. Thank you for the quick recovery that I'm going to have in Jesus name. Thank you for the fact that you have been with me, that you've helped me recover so far in my life so I can live, you know, for you every single day. Like just start to be in a thankful mind instead of a worried mind. Like we're they're so easy to look at this world and be worried. And but that's what the world does. The world doesn't have any hope of eternity. 
the world doesn't have any hope of a, a savior that's there with you, that's, that's there in you, you know, with you, the Holy Spirit inside of you, that's there with you, comforting you, guiding you. And the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's our paraclete. Uh, and I love that word because that's the word they would use back in the times it was written in the disciples era of, you know, a family lawyer, a family lawyer that would be on call at any moment that you would need litigation. And the paraclete, that's what it was. And so the Holy Spirit being our paraclete is there for us when we need him. And so we can call upon him for that peace, for that direction. You know, I call discernment, Holy Spirit infused decision-making because Mm -hmm. in the moment we need to make a decision, you know, the Holy Spirit can quicken something to us. Maybe it's a Bible verse. Maybe it's something, a, a word of knowledge. Maybe it's just a piece about something. But if we're asking, if we're in that state and not just trying to do it on ourself by ourselves, because when we start to make decisions on our own, when we start to just quote, figure it out on our own, that's when we start to get into problems. And then we go and we ask God for help after we've made these horrible decisions that led us down a path of unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And even Proverbs talks about this is don't make your plans and then ask God to bless them. You know, ask God ahead of time where he wants you to go and he will lead you and direct your paths. I mean, Proverbs 3, 5 is one of my favorite verses on discernment is trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Amen, brother. And you know what, what I've kind of noticed too is, you know, the, I'm going to throw it out. I know people say, oh, not everyone in America is comfortable. I got that. But come on, we were born in a country. I mean, it's like we won the lottery by being yeah. born in America. If you've been to other countries and, you know, like I've been into a, a country while communism was still there and the shock that I had. And then I was in another country where seriously the thatch roof, you know, hut we're in and, and mud floors, I think. But you know, it was a trip, even when I wasn't, when I was in that house and they were Christians, I felt the love of Christ so deep there because there, there was like one little pot boiling on the stove, which was going to be our meal. And it was pretty much just rice. It wasn't, we had to have our plate full. And it wasn't that I was sitting in this big, beautiful house that, you know, the fake valuations shooting up and oh, how much (laughs) is my house worth? And and so, and I felt it there. And what I've kind of noticed in America and, you know, this might rub people the wrong way. It seems like when our comfort level goes down, that's when our prayer goes up, meaning Mm. comfort level. I don't like who's in the white house. (laughs) I don't like who's here all of a sudden. Oh, the end is near. Now all of a sudden the end is near is coming out. No matter what you believe because our comfort is being taken away. But then I look back in history and I go, I bet my grandfather was pretty uncomfortable when Hitler was running all over Europe. Right. And, and, you know, things were going on in the Pacific and they were going off to war. I bet they were very uncomfortable and praying then too. So what I've been trying to do lately, and I've been encouraging people, which your book does is to slow down and stop worrying about your comfort and Lori with learn, you know, spend some time connecting with that, with God and with Jesus and, and, and let the Holy spirit just fill you full of his love, you know? And do you find that, that the comfort thing, like when people get uncomfortable, mean like they're sick and I'm not talking about a cancers or something that's really bad, but like you're sick and you're like, Oh God, please make me better. Do you find Mm -hmm. that too, that when people get uncomfortable, they tend to pray more? 
Oh, absolutely. And even on a frivolous level of, you know, comfort in church, you know, is the worship music is too loud, too soft. The chairs are too hard too you know, the temperature is too hot, too cold. It's like, come on. I mean, you know, like you said, in other countries, they're just on a dirt floor, happy to worship God. And we get in this mindset of me first instead of God first. And we end up, you know, crafting our entire life around our comfort. So yeah, when something comes in, disrupts it, it shatters us because we're not grounded in Jesus. We only go to him when we need him. And so that's, that's another reason why we have to keep our eyes on him every day, not just in the bad times, but in the good times too. Because if you built up that before you go to battle, before you go to war, if you go through the training and the steps needed, then when you get to battle, when you build your foundation on Jesus, like he said, the winds and the waves come, you will not be shaken because you've built your foundation on him. He doesn't say if the winds and waves, uh, winds and waves come, he says when, so we can expect you know, trials and tribulations in this world. But Jesus says, take heart for I have overcome the world. We don't find, you know, the comfort as, as our end all be all is in, in spite of everything. We look at Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, and we, we hold tight to him. We hold fast to him. And sure, there's nothing wrong with wanting some things. There's nothing wrong with living in America. I love this country. Right. right but at right. the same time, if that becomes your identity, so then it should not be in anything that you might lose if your identity is in your job, your family, even even your family and your job, which can be great things. If your identity is in anything you can lose, it's on shaky ground because in Jesus, you can never lose him. You can never lose your confidence and, and your eternal reward. And so that's where your foundation should be on because you can't lose it. Right. I love how you explain that because... Since I wrote my book and started podcasting and doing things, obviously people find interest in the fire department side of things and the struggles that I went through as a child and also on the fire ground, the things I've seen. So suddenly I've become in people's eyes, an expert on PTSD. (laughs) Jason's not an expert on anything. Can we be very clear on that? Okay. (laughs) But I understand where people are coming from and it's actually opened up an opportunity for me to be able to preach Jesus to folks a little more based on the same thing you said, because anything that you ground on here in this world, whether it's your wife, your husband, um, your job, all this, it's going to eventually be gone. And the only thing that's going to be left is Jesus. And if we don't fall into his arms because we don't have him in our life, we're falling right back into the pit of hell. And I try to tell people that because I lived in hell on earth prior to coming to Christ, you know, and I I know people, you weren't in hell. I'm like, hear me out. I was in the dark and being in the dark is hellish compared to being in the light where the good is, you know? Yeah. And everyone will stay, but Jason, you're telling people that without Jesus, it's not going to work. And I say, well, from a worldly standpoint, hear me out. Counseling works. Things work for this world. It's going to give you the feelings. But as rude as this sounds, I care about your here and now, but I've been called to care about your eternity. Mm. Yeah. And, and if the, as soon as the here and now fails, if you're not in Christ, you're, you're, you're going to hell and people hate hearing that. And they're like, well, that didn't help me with my PTSD. And that's where I always have to pause and say, hear me out. I want you to use these tools. I want you to use these gifts. I want you everything that's, you know, I believe in the same science as you. I just believe God gave it to us and he wants us to use it properly, yeah, you know, exactly. a, and everything. So 
as a pastor, I love how you explain that. And I know you're not just talking about your your folks in general, but everyone wants it their way. I'll be honest, I want it my way. Sometimes I walk into church and I'm like, oh, I wish this sermon was a little longer, a little less. And if you honestly think about that, that's the art of self-worship. We're always worshiping yeah. ourselves because we want it our way, yeah. you know? So how do we then get people that God has sent to us to preach and love on and build up? How do you get them to stop being so self-centered and just so I'm clear, I'm not calling anyone out because I'm as self-centered as the next guy. Okay. But yeah. how, how do we work on not being that way? Well, you know, from a pastoral perspective, it's tough because you don't want to, you know, uh, some people don't know any better and you have to love them through it. You have to listen. Um, but what I found is you can't placate to everybody. Cause if you try to change things for every single person, you're just going to constantly change and never know what you're standing for. And that's what I feel as Christians, a lot of times, just in general, you know, we, we end up moving with the waves of the culture and it's like, everyone knows what we're against, but what are we actually for? And we should be, you know, spreading Jesus and not just we're against this one sin, this one sin here and there. So I think in the church too, you know, it's very important that we, you know, as a pastoral team, you know, this is what we stand for. This is what we believe this us and the elders or whoever have come up to an agreement on this is what we're doing. And we hope that you're for us. And if not, We'll help you find a church that, you know, is more to your liking because there's no shortage of churches. There's no shortage of sermons. There's no shortage of information. And people get in a, a mindset of just gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm going to fill myself up and just go to the overflow and never share with anybody else. And that's not what we're called to do. The church should be like a gas station where you go to fill up so then you can go and give to other people that don't step in the building. And so oftentimes we think it's just a place to get filled up instead of actually going and doing and serving mm-hmm. and being the, the church while while we're at our jobs, while we're in our family, while we're in school, doing all those things. And so I think it's a mindset shift and I don't think Mm -hmm. it's going to happen overnight, but I think with leadership at the front, explaining the whys and also not, you know, uh, changing Mm -hmm. every little thing to make, you know, people's comfort better. I think that's a good starting point uh, along that journey. No, I, I agree with that because the way that I kind of see it is God is perfect. He is so perfect. And he's a balanced God. I mean, he's not off balance because off balance means that you're one thing's not right and the other is. So when I look at the Holy Scriptures, I see balance all the way through. I see that going to church and corporate worship and being alongside people and, and being the body of Christ and building one another up and getting fed on Sunday morning, whatever time you go to church, <laughs> that, that you're there. But it's unbalanced if that's all you do. You have to also get out of the church. But hear me out. I also, because being out there on social media, hear people because maybe rightfully so, they have been burned by a church. And it happened to me one time. And even praying upon it, I was like, whoa, that was such sin that happened in there. And, and, it, and it really did. It, it crushed me. But Christ is bigger and didn't crush Christ. And that's who I should be chasing after. Yeah. But I have so many people out there going, well, I don't need to go to church and be along them because going fishing is my church. I'm like, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, could we have church outside and park? Of course, as long as you have eldership and it's all built the way God says it should be built. Could we have a home church? By all means, I fully believe in that as long as it is properly built through the elders and properly comes down from, you know, headship wise and stuff. So when you mention that, I love that because I always like to reflect back upon me that, you know what, it's so easy to church hop. Like I've had conflict in my church. I really have. Yeah. But I love conflict 
not because I like, like the abrasiveness of this. I love to see Jesus come to the center of that conflict and us to work it out instead of I'm out of here. And let's be honest, I'm the first guy to just cut out on people where I used to be and conflict that Christ has let happen in my life while being there in the middle of it has helped me grow so much deeper of like, all right, guess what? Yeah, I am mad at you right now. I'm very angry, but that doesn't mean I'm going to walk. You know, do you find sometimes when people take their eyes off Jesus and in the middle of conflict that they just walk and then that's it? Yeah, you know, it, uh, and church hurt is very real. I've been through it myself. I even wrote a Bible plan on the Version Bible app called Hurt by Christians because I think a lot of times we get hurt and then we're just like, I'm not going to get hurt again. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. And I'm going to keep looking for this perfect church, which I forgot who said it, but don't join the perfect church because as soon as you do, it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we forget the church is supposed to be a museum of sinners and not a hospital, you know, a hospital of sinners, not a museum mm-hmm. of saints. Right. And, and so we, we, we have to take the good and the bad. And that's how God intended it. He intended the tension between both people who are still, you know, stuck in sin and still going on the road of sanctification. Some people that are further along than others who can then help those who are just saved, just starting out on the Christian race. And I think too often we look at people at different levels of us and we start to condemn them for what they're doing. And, and convictions are a huge part of what I tell people is to not judge people based on convictions. Let the Holy Spirit do that. For example, what happens when drug deal, when, you know, people stuck on drugs, people in prostitution, what happens when they start coming to your church? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be met with love? Are they going to be met with condemnation because they have tattoos, because they smell like cigarette smoke? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what we have to start thinking about. If we're going to be praying for revival and a renewal in America, what happens when those people start to come to church? Are they even going to going to come into your church or are they going to feel that condemnation a mile away and not come in because you won't love them? And that's really the true heart of the matter is, is people that are, and I get at this all the time, even myself, like, you know, whenever I post something about Christmas, I always have that one mm-hmm. Facebook prep friend that sneaks in and it's like, well, did you know that Christmas is a pagan holiday? You shouldn't right. celebrate it. And I'm like, come on, dude, right. you know, we're redeeming it for the Lord and all, you know, and all right. this, this nonsense. And so you still feel that condemnation, even on social media among mm-hmm. Christians, because we like to judge each other's sins or, Let's say, for example, that you do have a problem with cigarette smoking and 10 years into it, you realize, okay, this isn't what's best for me in my temple before the Lord. And so I'm going to quit. Well, now you go out and you judge everyone else who's still struggling with alcohol. Hey, what about you during those 10 years that you didn't want to listen to anybody? (laughs) That's the same thing we're doing, whether, uh, you know. What whatever the sin might be, whether it's, you know, rated our movies or cursing mm-hmm. or all this stuff, mm-hmm. those are personal convictions. Let the Holy Spirit do that work. You are not the Holy Spirit in someone else's life, whoever. Right. See, and that, that's what I love because I, I, you know, I had, I was speaking over this with a pastor the other day about, you know, yeah, 100% I judge. And, it, you know, of course, oh, you know, Christians. I said, no, I have to judge every, it's a discernment thing is judging, right? Is mm-hmm. this right? Is this what God wants for me? And if not, I should not do that. I've judged that this is not right. Right. Now I am not judging the person like you said. So, you know, not too long ago, I went out with a group of guys and I actually got really embarrassed because their language, it was really bad, but we're at a restaurant and I'm looking around and Mm -hmm. and I finally, that's a spot where I had to put a stop to it. I'm like, gentlemen, stop. There's kids here. There's this, that, and the other. I judged the situation and we had to stop it. But I love what you say is, Quit judging everyone. You know, it's almost like uh, I heard it. I forgot where it was, but it was like when someone who had never really studied reformed theology 
all of a sudden like, whoa, and it clicks and it makes sense of like, don't talk for a year. Okay. <laughs> Keep it to yourself because all of a sudden now, and I don't like throw terms of Calvinist or all this and everything. Cause you know, I, I just follow Christ and I try to discern the best I can of what he wants for me. But so many times people learn something new, something changes in them. And like you said, now everyone has to change. And I say the best way to do it is live it out and let people understand why you're living it out. You know, right. you're not sort of, oh, look at me, but just be like, man, I used to do this stuff. And honestly, it's no good being in the dark. There's nothing good there. It's not like I'm going to do something good and God's going to reward me. But right. what I tell people is when we get into the light, that's where the fruit is. And the fruit mm. is so sweet. So stay in the light because God wants you in the light. Where yeah. you're at right now is in the darkness and, and it's going to not taste good after a while. I mean, maybe initially, you know, seriously, there's so much sin that initially the flesh loves the flesh. Like, you know, my flesh loves stuff, but eventually it doesn't taste good anymore. It starts bringing me down a dark road and there's yeah. no more fruit and the fruit's gone. And so I tell guys, I'm like, that's when you're in that area that's so dark. That's when you want to show people why you're yeah. over here in the light. You know, so I appreciate you bringing, bringing that there. Yeah. Bro, before we get out of here, I just wanted to give you a couple minutes to speak into anything out there in the world when they cancel culture, whether it's in the church or out of the church, that just might be on your heart. Because I want people to, to hear this, that when we're canceling stuff, I truly feel like we're taking the opportunity of repentance away from people. Mm. Not, not, not that, you know, we can take away, but we're not giving them a chance to repent. We've just canceled them. So even if they get right with God, we're not giving them a chance to get right with us. So with that being said, in the world, in the church, out of the church walls, anywhere, where's some cancel culture stuff you see and your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it goes back to the boldness factor where we are in a war uh, you know, not against flesh and blood, but against spirituals, spirits and principalities of darkness. And we have to remember that, that, you know, when we start to think about someone else and their political party or their sin, we're, we need to make sure that we do love the person and hate the sin as much as cliche as that sounds, because ultimately God wants their heart. He wants them to come to salvation. He doesn't want anyone to uh, be lost and, and, and be in, in hell apart from him forever. And so we have to remember who we're fighting. We're not fighting. It's not Republican versus Democrat. It's not us versus them. It's not Christian versus Muslim. It's it's really about God versus Satan, this age-old battle that has been there since the beginning. And so where we fall into play is that we have to be bold because we have to take it to the enemy. We have to face the spiritual battles. We have to put on our spiritual armor daily. We have to not be, you know, a victim of the enemy, but we have to actually be the one who's out on the battlefield. I think Christianity in general has had a wake-up call, and Christianity in America has loved to be on a cruise ship when we need to be on a battleship. We need to be on the front lines and not the sidelines. And so we need to be out in front. And how we do that is, you know, we we, we pray is our is our main weapon, right? The word of God and prayer. So don't neglect the 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 point of prayer, like I'll give you an example. My 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 wife at the beginning of the year uh, met with a bunch of other 
ladies and they started this prayer group and they met in the morning one hour every day from Monday through Friday. And it started with like three people. And that's grown to like five or six different groups of women that are getting up in the morning for an hour every day, which is a lot. (laughs) I'm not doing that. But the women are laying a foundation of prayer over our city, calling out principalities, calling out uh, sins, calling out people that they're praying for. And we have seen some amazing fruit from that, just from people that are committed to praying every day, to interceding on behalf of those that can't. Uh, And so that is really how we take it back to people. And the boldness also comes from the fact that Satan is not uh, shy about being bold, right? Mm -hmm. There was just a concert on the news, which I'm not going to talk too much about that, but we all know what concert it was where people uh, horribly died. Right. And that concert was filled with demonic symbolism, Mm -hmm. with demonic uh, agenda, with demonic words and shirts and altars and Mm -hmm. horrible stuff at the very face of, of people, you know, young kids that are mm-hmm. seeing this. And yet when Christians try to be bold and have a revival service on a beach, you have the authorities coming and trying to lock them up. And so we have to, I, I think we, we, you know, we have to be smart. We can't just, you know, go mm-hmm. shouting everywhere if God's not called you to do that, but we also have to be bold in our areas of influence. And so if that means your job, if that means your city, if that means if God is calling you to go out to a park and start to just preach, whatever that is, mm-hmm. listen to God. Don't just do it because someone else is doing it, but actually go where God's going to bless it. And I'm telling you, there is, there is Christians that will start to rise up in this moment, in this time, that start to take the, the message of the gospel to people that will never set a foot in the, in the church and bring the message to them because the enemy is not uh, any way, um, you know, shy of bringing the message to people, even if you're not looking for it. There's nowhere you can turn and not see the, Satan's footprints. And so we need to see more of God's footprints, and that comes from us doing it. That's so good, man. And that's, you know, like I said, we're going to wrap up, but you just opened up another can of worms. Right. But this is what, what I love about your style. And the, it mean not your style, but bringing the truth. When we bring the truth, we have to talk about evil. We have to talk about the devil. We have to talk about hell, you know, and, and, and not do it where you're, you're condemning people, but tell them this is as real as Jesus Christ, as God's plan, as the gospel message as an eternity in heaven of perfection, which we truly were created for, you know, and, and I love that you bring that through. And what I also love is that you put together this devotional that became a book. So if you wouldn't mind telling us where can people find that, find your awesome podcast, which I'm a huge fan of, and where they can just basically find more of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity. You can go to discerning dad Dot com and find my resources, my blogs, uh, my podcast is on there too. The podcast is on all podcasting services called Everyday Discernment. And then the new book is Eyes on Jesus, a 90-day discernment devotional. You can find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart.com. I want to thank you so much, Jason, for the opportunity to come on. It's been an awesome t- chat with you. Oh, man. I appreciate having you. And guess what? I'm actually going to have you uh, pray us out live on this show, man. So go ahead and say a Love prayer to. as we get out of here. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to proclaim your name and your goodness. I thank you for this conversation. I thank you for Jason and the work he's doing with this podcast and his ministry. I can praise you continue to bless that, God. I pray anyone listening right now who may feel apart from you, who may not know where to start, I pray you would reveal yourself to them in a new way, in a fresh way. Allow people to realize that you are real, God, that you want a relationship with every single person listening. Lord, reveal yourself to them through a friend, through your word, through just a dream, whatever it is, Lord, that you know how to do it. I just pray a blessing upon everyone listening. I pray that they would reach out 
to one of us, Lord, if they have questions. I pray that they would reach out for, for answers, Lord, because you are, are waiting to be found. You knock at the door, waiting for us to open it. And there is no shortage of, of wisdom, Lord, in your, in your word that you've given us in the Bible. And I pray, Lord, that we would keep our eyes on you every day because that is the path that leads to life down the narrow path where not everyone is, is, is on. But Lord, we, we pray we would stay on the narrow path. Lord, guard us from sin, guard us from temptation, and, and help us keep our eyes on you for your glory and for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim, thank you for your time, and you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much, Jason. God bless. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more.